It's always good to see your faces and to share God's Word with you. So this morning, I have two texts that I would have you turn in your scriptures to follow along, if you will. The first scripture text is from the Old Testament, from the book of Deuteronomy, from the 34th chapter, and beginning with the first verse. And then we will turn to the New Testament, to the book of Hebrews in the 11th chapter, (coughs) excuse me, for our second reading. First, let us turn then to the Old Testament, to the Word of God. We find it recorded in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 34, beginning verse 1. Let us hear the word of the Lord. And Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo, to the top of Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land of Gilead as far as Dan, all Naphtali, all of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the western sea, the Negev and the plain, that is, the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees, as far as Zoar. And the Lord said to him, This is the land which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in the valley of the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor. But no man knows the place of his burial to this day. Moses was a hundred and twenty years old when he died. His eyes were not dim, nor his natural force abated. And the people of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab thirty days. Then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended. And Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of spirit of wisdom, for Moses has laid his hands upon him. So the people of Israel obeyed him, and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, and none like him for all the signs and all the wonders which the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land, and for all the mighty power and all the great and terrible deeds which Moses wrought in the sight of all of Israel. And as we turn then to the New Testament, we turn to the book of Hebrews and to the 11th chapter (coughs) and begin reading at the 8th verse. Actually, I'm using this entire 11th chapter, but in the interest of time, I will read some selected verses, beginning with verse 11. (coughs) Or verse 8, I'm sorry. Chapter 11, verse 8. By faith... Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place which he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was to go. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked forward to the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven and as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received what was promised, but having seen it and greeted it from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland, If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, 
they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. But now have us turn to verse 32 and continue the reading. <coughs> and what more shall we say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, received promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched raging fire, escaped the edge of the sword, won strength out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release, that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and scourging, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering over deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all of these, though well attested by their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had foreseen something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. This ends the reading of the word of the Lord. May he bless it to our understanding. Let's bow together in prayer. <laughs> Father, we thank you for the word that you have inspired and blessed through your Holy Spirit. We thank, the, we thank you for the truth that is laid up therein. We ask now that as we have read and as we have heard these words, that you would write them upon our hearts and then send us forth from this place that we might carry these truths to the world before us. We ask it in the name and for the sake of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Moses was a giant of the Old Testament in terms of his faith, in terms of his service. He was a prophet, he was a deliverer of God's commandments, he was a leader of God's people from Egypt in the Exodus to take them to the brink of the promised land. He is described in scripture as one who walked with God in a unique kind of way, and one with whom God dealt face to face. Scripture says the like of which was never to be seen again, never had been seen before and would never be seen in the future. And for all of this, for all of the all of the glory, for all of the praise, for all of the wonder of the life of Moses, in the end, the consuming goal of Moses' life was denied him. He was to lead his people to the promised land, which he did. But now, God takes him to the top of the mountain, gives him a view of all of the promised land that he has given to the people, but Moses is not to enter therein. Moses can look, but he cannot have. For all of this, we wonder at that moment on top of that mountain, was Moses bitter? Was he angry? Was he sad? We aren't told... But one thing I think we can deduce with safety. He had to have been disappointed. It had to have been a disappointment to him. For after 
all of the years in the wilderness, all of the things that he endured, the goal that he had worked for was denied him. In the New Testament, the writer of Hebrews picks up a similar theme. He talks about all of the people of faith. I'd urge you to read this 11th chapter of Hebrews sometime in this context. And he sums it all up that all of these people of great faith, all that they did, he sums it up saying this, All these, though well attested by their faith, did not receive what was promised. Since God had foreseen something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. Disappointment. Setback. Frustration. They had it. We had it. We've all been disappointed in our lives at one time or another. And we will all be disappointed again sometime before we die. And if we are to deal with disappointments rather than disappointments dealing with us, we have to learn how to deal with them. And while we can't possibly cover the entire subject this morning, there are three things that seem to grow out of these texts and other ones that might help us when we are faced with our disappointments and our failures. For surely they will come. They will come to each one of us in our own time and in God's perfect timing and way. We consider the causes and the purposes of our disappointments this morning. When we turn to the life of Moses and see this great man, and we see all that he has accomplished, all that he did, we discover that Moses was disappointed not once, but several times. In terms of his dealing with the people from the very beginning to the period of time in the Exodus, Moses was the victim of disappointments. But there were disappointments that were uncontrollable as far as Moses was concerned. And that's the first point that I would like us to make. That in the face of disappointments that come to us, sometimes those disappointments are uncontrollable. Sometimes these are things over which we have no direct bearing, over which we can bring no direct cause and effect. That we simply are people who live in the world things happen in the world, and those things will touch us. Moses discovered that. God called him from a burning bush. God called him to produce and to do what God had, had planned for Moses and for the people. What God did not change was the uncontrollable circumstances that were going to bring disappointment to Moses time and time again. One of those the very nature of the people that God was calling out of Egypt. These were the chosen people of God, but they were a long ways from being perfect people. And what Moses discovered, if he didn't already know, was what Scripture described them as, a stiff-necked people. They were a stubborn people. They were a people that wanted their own way. And Moses discovered over and over and over again that there was no way he could satisfy all of the people. If 
they went out into the wilderness, they should be back in Egypt. If God provided manna, they ought to have meat. If God had meat, they ought to go back to Egypt and have fish and onions and leeks and all of those good things. Whatever it was that they had was not enough. Whatever Moses did was not enough. They complained. They took on. They had a time all the while. Everything that Moses did seemed like somebody didn't like. Disappointed over and over and over again. Struggling to lead this people. Struggling to do what it was that God wanted. And nobody seemed to care. They all complained and they all did things that disappointed him. Made it difficult for him to do what God had called him to do. It wasn't his fault. He was not responsible for the nature of those people. There was nothing he could do to change them. He had only to deal with them. There was nothing else he could do about that. He was a victim of events and disappointments that were not directly his fault. And you know, if that were not bad enough, and all of these people were giving him a hard time, it even extended into his family. Remember Aaron, Miriam? First they accuse Moses that he's not the only one that can have all of these gifts and blessings. Time and time again, they seem to make things even more difficult. So if Moses were not disappointed enough that all of the people around him were giving him a bad time and causing disappointments. Now it's happening in his own family. He can't change that either. He's not responsible for who they are, or what they are, or what they are doing. It's not directly a problem that he can deal with, and it's not directly a problem that can do anything about the disappointments that come with it. What he did discover was while he was not responsible for them, he was responsible for how he reacted to them. And Moses discovered that one thing that he had to keep in mind while he dealt with all of these disappointments that came to him was that none of these things were an act of blind faith. All of these things were at the hand of God. It was God who brought about these things. It was God who was in control of these things. And Moses needed to remember that he was walking with God toward a goal that God had given him. And that whatever else came into that picture and into that equation, God was in control of it. Not some kind of blind fate in which Moses was at the mercy of and was ultimately going to sink him in what he was trying to do. Moses discovered that though he was special, Though God had a special mission for him, God had not said he would be protected from the world in which he lived. He would not be protected from the calamities, the tragedies, and the problems of life. And God would simply see him through them. He would not spare him from them. That lesson is one that we need to learn. Many disappointments come into our life for which we are not responsible for things that we can do nothing about. The nature of the people we are called to witness to, the nature of the people even in our own midst who we work, we discover that they, like each one of us, have sinned. And sometimes they can be miserable. 
sometimes people go out of their way to disappoint us. And there's nothing we can do. We can't control them. We can't make them be different. People can be miserable to us on our jobs. They can disappoint us in our labors. We can be disappointed in school. We can be disappointed in all of the things that go on around us. There are things that we cannot control. We simply are part of the world in which we live, in which we must take part. As though that weren't bad enough, like Moses, sometimes we discover that we even get it from our families. No, someone said one time, we can't choose our families. We can pick our friends, but we're stuck with our families. God knows sometimes that there are parts of our family we just as soon not be stuck with. But there's nothing we can do about that. Either. That's not our fault. There they are. And there they are, oftentimes bringing disappointment to us. So what do we think? Shall we blame God? Shall we wallow in self-pity? Or shall we understand that we are not at the mercy of blind fate in life, but that this sovereign God who has called Moses and called people is a God who is in control of all things, and nothing happens apart from his will and his purpose and his understanding. And with that, we begin to understand that what our task is, is to do what God has called us to do, in spite of those uncontrollable circumstances. God has called us to lead a world of darkness, a people in slavery and in sin to light. We are called not from a burning bush, but by the Spirit of God, to be God's people in the world, to bring men to light out of darkness, to live in this world, as Paul says, to live in it, but not of it. We are called to do that. And in the process of that, even though we are special, even though we are called as a people of God, God nowhere says we will not be touched by the world around us. And so as we go through life, we discover, yes, there are many things that disappoint us. There are lots of disasters and tragedies and calamities that come for which we are not responsible. Tornadoes rip through towns. People die. Homes are destroyed. Floods come, washing away entire communities. Earthquakes come. Wars arise. Innocent people are killed and slaughtered. We are a part of it. All of these come to us as well as the individual things that disappoint us in life. The setbacks that come in our careers and our lives, the death of loved ones, the setbacks that come to us every single day. And how do we deal with them? Like Moses. To see that this is part of the journey that we are going through. Hebrews said we have an eye on another city. We are looking beyond this because we have to focus on something far greater than simply what our disappointments are about.
so we look to an absolutely sovereign God and know that all things are in His care and in His hand. And ours is to follow where He leads, to lead His lost and sinful people to the promised land. Whether we enter in or not, it's up to God. The second thing I would like us to think about in dealing with our disappointments is to recognize our own weakness and our own sin. But sometimes, whether we like to admit it or not, our disappointments and our setbacks are the result of our own weakness and of our own sin. When we look to the life of Moses, we see it very clearly. Moses began, you will remember, declaring he was not going to be an Egyptian, he was going to be part of the people of Israel. A high and a noble motive, to be sure. And one day, not long thereafter, he saw the Egyptians being cruel to his people. One of them, and Moses, rose up and killed the Egyptian. God did not tell him to. God decided, Moses decided in his own pride, and in his own character, he would not tolerate that. He would not treat his people that way. And in a fit of anger and pride, he killed the Egyptian. You'd think people would be grateful, would you? Yet in the next few days, Moses saw some of his people quarreling between themselves. He decided to go and break it up. Turned great criticism and said, You intend to kill us as you did the Egyptian. Moses was in trouble. The Egyptians heard about it, and Moses had to leave. You remember the story? He went to the land of Midian, where he was to remain for many years. Why was he there? Because of his own sin, his own weakness. He caused it himself part of God's ultimate plan. Then Moses is to lead the people and they're to spend some 40 years in the wilderness and again some of his problems are of his own making. Early on in their trip they complained that there wasn't water <laughs> and God had directed Moses how to get water from the rock. Moses had done so blessing of the people and to the glory of God. Later on, the same problem arises again. People are complaining. They're carrying on. you got no water. You're going to bring us out here in the wilderness. We're going to die of thirst. We're going to die of hunger. We're going to die of all this. Moses goes to God in utter frustration. What are we going to do? God says once more, come to the rock. Stand before the rock and you ask the water come forth. Moses calls the people. He approaches the rock with the rod that God had given him in his hand. Instead of asking water to come forth from the rock, what does he do? He hits the rod. I'll show you how water comes forth to God. And it's the sin that kept him from the promised land. He would become God. He would become the one who would bring water from the rock. His own sin his own disobedience 
came to haunt him. He didn't obey God. He decided to do it his way. And he answered. How many times did he cause his own disappointments? How many times did his own sin cause him problems? A number of times as we read through the accounts. What was true for Moses is true for us. Whether we like to admit it or not, sometimes the disappointments, sometimes the problems that come to us are are of our own making. I can testify that a number of times that I have been disappointed, a number of times that I've been in trouble, then because I was pig-headed, stubborn, filled with pride. Because I was going to do things my way no matter what. And it would come back to haunt me. I'm sure you've experienced the same thing. And when it comes back to haunt me, got no one to blame but yours truly. How many times in our disappointments over the year, like Moses, we discovered the real cause is our own sin, our own weakness, our own refusal to obey God, listen to God, and it comes back to haunt us with disappointments. And we then don't know where to turn. With Moses, however, one has to believe that he finally accepted his own responsibilities. And he knows that from the passage that we read, when we read that God took him up on the mountain and showed him the promised land, but said he couldn't enter into it. There's no complaint in Moses. Nothing is said. Moses doesn't blame God. He doesn't blame the people. He doesn't blame anyone else. He quietly accepts the judgment of God. I'm sure knowing his own role in it, they could accept it and die in peace. Can we? Are we willing to accept our own sinfulness, our own weakness? When our disappointments come, are we more inclined to blame someone else? To blame circumstances? To blame God? To blame what's going on in the world? we sometimes see ourselves as the ones responsible for our own disappointment. The third thing I would like us to think about in dealing with our disappointments this morning is to recognize God's greater plan for us and the world in which we live. Moses had not a clue as to the greatness of what God had in mind the succeeding generations what Moses would do and would be. And from the time of the burning bush to the time that he stands on the mountain, he had no idea what God had had planned for him. He had no idea that what he was doing then would be affecting us in many, many had no clue that the disappointments, the things that had come to him, were part of a sovereign plan of God that saw something greater than Moses, 
are greater than his disappointments, greater than all of the things that Moses was going to do, and that Moses was one part in the whole package of what God was going to do. He had no clue that his success in leading the people those years in the wilderness to the edge of the promised land would be a success that would affect the people that would follow him. The torture would pass. Others would lead the people into the promised land. And the plan of God would continue in a wondrous, remarkable way, far beyond anything that Moses ever knew or those that followed him. His future and the future of those involved were all part and parcel of what God had planned in a greater scheme for the things that lie in the future. He needed to define his goals. To define the goals whether we are here to serve God or for personal glory. When we seek only comfort, we seek only our own pleasure. Or are we seeing ourselves as part of this plan See, the fact is that we don't always get what we want. Sometimes when we do get it, we discover that we no longer want it. How many times have we planned over the years for something that we wanted, something we were going to strive for, work for, save for, the day comes that we can get it, we discover we no longer want it because we have grown beyond it to see something beyond the small focus that we were zeroing in on to start with. To put it in the simplest terms as follows, as, as possible, our disappointments are redeemed by the greater plan of God. They're not losses. They're not failures. They are part of what God is doing in the greater plan that he has for the world and for us. Hebrews had it right. It was all died in faith without receiving what was promised. But God redeemed it because of what he had planned in the future. We need to see ourselves and our lives in the same way. Each one of us, our lives are more and are greater than the sum total of the events that happen in the years that we live. We are part of this great universe. We are part of this great plan of God. And we are just a speck in the midst of that, but one that is important to God and one that God uses to bring about His ultimate purposes. For all of the disappointments, for all the problems of Moses, God used Him used him as he used no other to bring about the deliverance of the people of Israel to the promised land. Where they would there establish what will one day become the kingdom of Israel, from whom would come one day a Savior who will return one day with another kingdom. And we are part and parcel of that process. Whatever we do, however small we may think it is, part of God's plan in the total picture. No one is unimportant. No one is insignificant. No task 
is unimportant to God. No person is unimportant. The very hairs of our head are numbered. And we are all part of this great plan of God to bring about one day the kingdom that is to come and the resurrection of eternal life. Disappointment, our disappointments, your disappointments, are redeemed by God's greater plan in the world. And when we can look at our disappointments in those terms, when we can put them in that context, it becomes then something not that rules us, not that destroys us, not that makes us well, wallow in self-pity, not that makes us feel sorry for ourselves all the time, but makes us see them as part of what they truly are, God has called us to be in His kingdom. We've all had disappointments. It's likely we'll have more of them. They may come by events beyond our control. They may come by our own sin and our own weakness. But however that may be, we must see beyond the present disappointments and what is beyond. We too are headed for a better country, a heavenly one. And this is but a brief detour along the way. God desires even better things for us than what we think we want. Moses saw the earthly promised land but was denied entrance. But God gave him something better in the end. What we think we want and may be disappointed about, God may deny us today to give us something better tomorrow. All who have preceded us have had disappointments, but their lives are made perfect what we are doing in their stead. Those who follow us will make our lives important. Disappointments and all as they pick up from what we have left. Those who follow us will build on our faith, learn from our disappointments, and understand that all of life is ordained and planned of God to our good. Disappointments and all. They are thus put into God's hands. Time and patience will prove His love to be even greater than we ever thought or ever knew. I return to that 39th verse in the 11th chapter of Hebrews to conclude. And all of these, though well attested by their faith, did not receive what was promised. Since God had foreseen something better for us, Apart from us, they should not be made perfect. And so it will be for us and for the generations that will follow us to deal with our disappointments. Let us pray. Holy and merciful God, it is difficult for us to have a vision that matches your vision. Sometimes our focus is narrowed to our own life. Sometimes we see only that which is directly before us. Sometimes in that narrow vision, we are dismayed with disappointments. We are discouraged and frustrated. Sometimes angry, filled with, filled with pride and frustrations. Father, wipe our vision. Let us look into the promised land. Let us see the greater blessing and 
promise that you have for us. Let us do what you have called us to do, knowing that in the midst of failures and disappointments, that those who follow us will make our work perfect and our disappointments will be redeemed by your love. We pray in Christ's name.